2: And welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40, created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. It's the final episode of the season, and all my podcasting dreams have come true, because my guest this week, by popular demand and a whole ton of begging, is the one, the only, the legend, that is Miriam Margulies. Miriam started her career in theatre and radio, voiced some of the best-known ads of the late 20th century, and I'm not going to try and do the Cadbury's Caramel Bunny because I I just can't out Miriam Miriam, won a BAFTA for her role in Martin Scorsese's Age of Innocence and millions of tiny hearts as Professor Sprout in Harry Potter. At 82, she is busier than ever, a Vogue cover star, one of TV's best-loved documentary makers. And if you haven't seen her in a camper van with Alan Cumming going around Scotland, you you absolutely must and catch up. Um And she's the best-selling author of two memoirs, This Much Is True and Oh, Miriam. Can you tell I was just a little bit excited? I could hardly contain myself on the train. One of the lovely things
3: about keeping working is that I am meeting new people, and obviously many of them are much younger than myself. And that is a pleasure.
2: I met Miriam in Glasgow ahead of her live show to talk about everything from having her womb out in her mid-30s and she only went to the doctor for a sore nose, wearing trainers to Buckingham Palace before that was a thing, and why she's really, really bored of being labelled just a lesbian. We also discussed never wanting children, her 54-year love match, and the power of living a life with no secrets. Miriam, thank you so much for coming on The Shift and fitting me in on your hectic schedule. Vogue cover star at 82. Absurd. How'd you pull that off? (laughs) Well, I was totally
3: amazed. I got the email from my agent I thought it was a hoax, <laughs> and um, it, it turned out not to be. And so, of course, I said yes because I was thrilled to bits. Um, gay pride is something I've joined in on from time to time, but I'm getting bored in a way with with being uh, just being labelled as a as a lesbian um, because I'm hopefully a, a human being. So, lesbian is an adjective; it's not a noun in my book, but. Um, to be a cover
2: girl, I mean, it was just, it was amazing, really amazing. And Tim Walker, who's an amazing photographer. Oh, he's brilliant. Fantastic. Gosh, and I, I have to say, we've become friends. I mean, after all, if you
3: strip in front of someone you don't yeah. know, you kind of get through all the preliminary space of intimacy. Yeah. So that was lovely, and I'm terribly grateful to him. And it's um, it's been good for Vogue, I think, because they sold a, a lot more copies than they usually yeah. do. And um, I got, uh, I don't know what you call it, I got sort of smug. I thought to myself, I'm a Vogue cover girl.
2: And I think there are very few people who can say that. Yeah, not many people can say that. What do you think? Is um, sure, I can't remember. I've been reading both of your books this week, and I can't remember which one it's in. But you said that your mother despaired of your style. What do you think she would have made of it? I think she would have been very pleased with the
3: clothes. And <laughs> it took twenty people to make me look like that. You know, they came in in the morning at about half past seven, and there was an army of. Uh, shoes and scarves and fascinators and all kinds of things came in and a nailist who did my nails and a hair lady and a, a makeup a stylist I actually had a
2: who I have definitely become friends with because yeah. I, I need her that wasn't the first time in your career was it that you'd had that all that tension oh yes it was I've never had a whole army of people trying to make me
3: look reasonable, it was amazing. And I I have to say that I didn't know anything about the fashion world and didn't really respect it very much. Mm-hmm. I felt it wasn't for people like me and, and I didn't care about it. But when I met the people who actually worked in it, I could see that they were immensely skilled and dedicated. And my respect for that that world that I so seldom tiptoe into... Has gone up without question. Uh, I only knew one person in it who was Susie Menkes, who was at school with me, at Cambridge with me at the university at Newnham. And she didn't like me and I didn't like her. So I thought I didn't know much about the fashion (laughs) business at all. However, my mother did have a dress shop and had a very big sense of style. For example, she always wore a cape, uh, not a coat. And I found it, as you do when you're young and mummy comes to school and she doesn't look like anybody else's
2: Oh, yeah, mommy. you just want us dressed like the others. Exactly. And I, I used to
3: say, mummy, don't wear the cape, don't wear the cape. Yeah. But uh, now I'm proud of her and I wish I'd had that flair that she had, but I just don't.
2: It's like it's nice if you care and if you don't care. Then well, you, you
3: just do. You you try to be true to yourself. I'll never, I'll never be a fashion plate. I'm the, I'm the wrong shape, the wrong height. And I, I don't care enough,
2: but I was terribly chuffed, I would say. Chuffed to buggery, I was. Yeah. yeah, maybe not something you thought you'd ever see on your CV. Well, of course not. <laughs> Nobody else thought I would, either. Is it fair to say you're the busiest... You've ever been? It, it is fair
3: to say that. And it feels bewildering when I think about it. I don't know why I've relatively recently become terribly ubiquitous <laughs> on everybody's television because I'm not on social media except for Facebook. I don't belong to Twitter or Instagram. I don't know any of the other ones, but, you know, yeah. whatever the other ones are, I'm not on them. I think it was Graham Norton, the Graham Norton show, that um, I, which was really, honestly, it was about 12 years ago, maybe more, when I first went on,
2: and I think that's what made the difference. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because it's not like you hadn't done so much before. Well, I, 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 I kept employed... Uh, for a long time, I
3: mean, I wasn't—I wasn't a star, and I never have been a star. But I've been, you know, a, oh, I suppose a what's the word—a a jobbing actor for quite a long time. And I'm—I'm I'm very proud that I didn't have to go and do something else, as many many people do. And I don't think it's because of my talent. I—I I believe I'm talented, and I believe that a lot of that talent is still untapped, that I have reserves of brilliance (laughs) Uh, that 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 have not been explored. However, I'm useful, I'm versatile, and I'm pleasant. And I think people like to have somebody who's cheery around the place because life is very frightening and tight and hard sometimes. So I think it's my personality as much as anything else, which has made me constantly employed.
2: You said, I've been an outspoken old lady since I was a little girl. Do you think that's why? I can't explain it. I, I, I
3: don't know if it's because I was an outspoken, but I've always been an outspoken person. I always was, even when I was at school. And before, I remember saying at a, at a, a gathering once at home... That man walks like a lady. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How old were you then? I suppose I was about ten. <laughs> you know. But I was sharp enough to see that he was a bit of a, what, what did Mummy call it? A bit of a Nancy boy. It oh yeah. Call it.
2: Oh God. Well, yeah.
3: things. Uh, yes, it's lovely. Look, I'm. I'm not knocking it. I'm just hoping that I'm strong enough and 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 keep well enough to deliver good performances and entertain people. That, that's what you always hope for and worry about.
2: Yeah. How, how, how are you doing? How's your...
3: Well, I, oh, yeah. I've got lots of things wrong with me. I've got, uh, I've got a cow's heart. On May the 5th, I had a very interesting operation procedure, cardiac procedure called a TAVI, which is um, I had my own faulty aortic valve, which is the biggest one in the heart, Replaced by cows.
2: Wow!
3: And they do two little incisions in your groin. It's not open heart surgery, but it would have been years ago. But they have this new procedure now. I had, I did it privately, which is something that always makes me nervous because I so believe in the National Health Service. uh, But I always say it. I have to admit it because I don't want somebody to say, "Oh, you're always talking about the National Health Service. You had a private thing." Yes, I did. Yeah, Yeah. I, I did. A, because I could afford it, and B, I I knew that uh, if I didn't have it when I had time to have it, this whole book and tour and everything would have had to be scrapped. And I had another film in Australia to do a documentary. So a lot of people's careers, not careers, that's not fair, but, uh, you know, money, income would have depended on my being fit enough to carry it out. So I thought, well, you know, do it. So I did it. And it was scary, and I was a bit peculiar afterwards, and I may still be, but um, it it was okay. Has it helped? I think (laughs) it it has. I think, I mean, it, it made me feel terribly vulnerable, because heart problems were in my family on my mother's side, and I knew that that could have not ended well. I've also got osteoporosis and spondylolisthesis, and osteoarthritis, and I've got a weak bladder. and haven't oh, um, we all? I know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really sucks sucks that Something that. I always have to check where the loo is. In fact, I haven't checked where the loo is on this floor where we're talking. Elliot, where's
2: the loo? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, Isn't that lucky? That's um, good to know. <laughs> it's good to know. For both of us. <laughs> so
3: um, I'm aware of my body wearing out. And also, to some extent, I'm not as sharp as I used to be mentally.
2: I'm still here, mm. and <laughs> so thank God. Thank you, whoever's responsible. Still and still working like crazy. What are the good? That's obviously the Duff side of ageing. What, what do you? What have you liked about getting older?
3: I've liked that people know who I
2: am now. Um, quite often,
3: and uh, not always. They don't always spell my name right still. That's always a source of real rage. Um, I like they pronounce that, it? Well, uh, no, they never pronounce it correctly. It's always Margo- Margoyles or Margolis. <laughs> I remember my father's partner, uh, that is his um, locum, you know, yeah. medical partner, was very drunk. This is before I was born, and Mummy told me one day he... He sort of reeled into the surgery and said, Oh, good morning, Mrs. Garmolyas. <laughs> <laughs> so, Garmolyas, they're not been called yet. But anyway, it's it's not an easy name to pronounce. As you get older, uh, people, people listen to what you say because you can say, listen, I know... That if you eat too much after seven o'clock, you're not going to have a good night's sleep. Uh, So you you can dispense advice and people may or may not listen to it because you're older. But there's not very much to be said about, good about getting old. I think it's a, you know, it's a bit of a mug's game. (laughs) The only thing is,
2: what's the alternative? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what's good. We're still here. Have you found that you care less about all those kind of... Stupid. Well, not stupid. They don't seem stupid at the time, but the things that you, you know, the things that you one wastes energy on.
3: Well, you know, I
2: have to say, no, I care more. I actually care more
3: about things now. I won't let the least grammatical mistake go by. I won't, I point out people's mistakes in the rudest way. I, I think I've become... Uh, I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't think I'm uh, deliberately, um, but I think I'm tiresome quite often. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do
2: care more because there's so little time left to get it right. Cast your mind back. How old do you think you were when you started to get really comfortable in your skin, when you reached that point where you were like, this is who I am. I'm not going to pretend to be other than I am. This is who I am.
3: I don't know that I
2: I I feel that
3: now. It it depends on the day or the person that needs to be impressed. (laughs) Um, Sometimes, well, you know, one thing I decided, I don't know when, about maybe 15 years ago, I'm not wearing high heels. I'm not going to push my feet into difficult shoes. God, you lasted pretty well if that was only 15 years ago. Well, I probably didn't wear high heels, but... People said to me, you know, when I have to go to receptions or first nights or something, I mean, I don't do them anymore, but if I had to, people say, uh, oh, the dress is lovely. What about shoes, Miriam? I say, well, fuck the shoes. (laughs) You know, I wear trainers and I've worn them at Buckingham Palace and and Hyde Park and anywhere else I'm going. I, I want to be comfy. Probably I've always wanted to be comfortable, but sometimes I've had to wear smart shoes and now I don't bother. I just think, well, tough, tough titty. <laughs> They'll take me as I am. And I try to get people to concentrate on this half, you know, yeah, just yeah. sort of above the nipples, yeah. because I'm quite happy with above the nipples. Below the nipples, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. not so sure.
2: Have you always felt like that? Is that newish?
3: Life is a process, isn't it? And it's a process that... You largely conduct unconsciously. I'm not really conscious of suddenly thinking, oh, my goodness, this is new. The only thing that I have noticed is when my knees hurt, when my knees started to hurt. I thought, oh, that's new. And then quite recently, my hands have uh, got a bit more arthritic And I do notice that. And that's only within the last, I don't know, six months but on the whole, I've I'm, I'm, I'm not been self-critical enough in any way. I just continue, and so it goes. I don't think any single thing has uh, sharpened my awareness to my condition or my, my character or my change in character. Most of the people that I met on the tour that I knew at school have said I'm completely unchanged,
2: that's interesting. You have got a remarkable capacity to make and keep friends, haven't you? I, I thinking, hope so. I you hope really I have. have. When I was reading the books, I was just thinking, oh, my God, this is just like everywhere you go, you collect another friend and another friend, another friend, and you're still in touch with them all. It's exhausting
3: sometimes <laughs>
2: because I, I want people to know that I care
3: about them. Sometimes it's difficult because there are so many and I don't have that that much time. But one of the lovely things about keeping working is that I am meeting new people and obviously many of them are much younger than myself and that is a pleasure and I get to know young people and I don't know what they think. I don't want them to think that I'm marvellous because I know I'm not but they give me confidence and they laugh at my jokes and that's very rewarding <laughs> really.
2: has it changed your attitude a bit because so many people as they get older they get more insular don't they and they and so much is made of kind of generational divide and has spending you know encountering younger people much younger or a bit younger has that changed your approach has, I'm
3: grateful that I'm able to meet young people because I think to be in a world entirely of your own generation would not um, increase your, your knowledge and increase your awareness of the world around you. I wish they read more. I'm quite critical of young people. But on the other hand, when I see them interacting, I think how brilliantly free they are I once saw um, a, a group of young people having a picnic lunch, and they were all tumbled on top of each other, and um, not not sexually particularly. It wasn't like that. It was just a, a relaxed pleasure in being together with friends. But when I was young, I was always worrying: do, Does my breath smell? Is my is my period showing? Am am I are my armpits too hairy or, um, you know, I, I, was, I was worried socially. And I, and I don't think young people are so worried about things like that. They may be, but it doesn't seem so to me on the surface. So I'm, I'm happy to know young people and, and to learn from them. But they've, they've got to learn from me about words and apostrophes and how to, <laughs> how to read and how to, how to be uh, critical of stuff they read. Mm. And, um, but I, I, like, I, like, I always used to say I don't like young people. Well, that's not true. I do like young people, but I'm not sure I can deal with children. Children are a
2: little bit too much for me. Has that always been the case? Yes, from the beginning. (laughs) So there's no way in which you would ever have fancied having one? Never. Which is lucky because I had my womb out in 1974
3: and it didn't bother me. You know, it didn't bother me in the sense that Oh, my God, I'm not going to have children. Mm. I didn't worry about that. I just thought I want to survive. Yeah. But, um, so I
2: what, you were about 33, 34? 34,
3: 34, 34, yeah. 34. What was that? Was that fibroids? It was fibroids. It was uh, benign fibroids. And, uh, you know, the doctor found them. And he was kind of, he was very uncaring, really. He said, oh, come, on, come and have a look at this nurse, you know. <laughs> they were both peering up my uh, up my jacksie and... and um, and sort of talking about my goodness I haven't seen one as big for years you know? <laughs> and you think look I'm here at the other end of this yeah. but um, anyway I had it out and look um I'm glad I did, actually.
2: So you did? You then have a really, uh, you know, really premature menopause? No, I didn't have a menopause at all.
3: I mean, I've never, I've never been aware of a menopause. I've never noticed that I had. I just stopped having periods, and with the end of periods came uh, a kind of remarkable peace and meant I had another six days every month to myself without bothering about all that sanitary towel or tampax or God I've run out of this and that you know no I I, I emerged into a into a menopauseless world with with pleasant
2: alacrity. Yeah, nice work. I mean also huge. Had a whopping great fibroid like that, you must have been having the periods from hell. No, they weren't. Uh, They really weren't.
3: Otherwise, but I would have gone to the
2: doctor about that.
3: But in fact, I went to the doctor because I had um, fallen and and hurt my nose. And 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 what was he doing down there? Well, he just said, Shall I give you a general uh, examination or something, you know? So I said, Oh, yeah, might as well. So we did. But, I mean, in fact, it, it wasn't
2: for that. I went to see him. So you went in for hurting your nose. If so I hadn't fallen...
3: A if I hadn't fallen, I'd probably still have had a womb.
2: Oh, <laughs> my God. That's crazy. It is.
3: It was extraordinary.
2: You were really, really close to your mum, weren't you? Yes. Growing up. I
3: adored her. I still adore her. She's still someone I love to talk about and think about and remember. She was a complicated woman. She had quite big mood swings. Somehow she was totally capable. Mummy could do anything except sew. She couldn't (laughs) sew. So we had Miss Norridge, who was our dressmaker, but um, who was lovely. I remember Miss Norridge. She had one of those kind of big hairdos, a sort of wedge on one side and a wedge on the other. Very strange. Kind of a flicky rung thing. yeah. But mummy, um, mummy was all powerful in our family.
2: You write really movingly about the kind of conversations that you had with her when you were really little. Do you think that that prompted in you uh, kind of curiosity for other people? I don't know if if it prompted the
3: curiosity that I genuinely do have about other people. Mummy was the first person with whom I told everything, and she told me everything. So I was always expecting that kind of intimacy with everybody I met. And, of course, you don't (laughs) get that. (laughs) Some of my friends, I remember one particular in in Newnham College who said, Miriam, you're, you're not giving me any space. I thought, I think I say this in my books um i thought it meant i was standing too close to her Mm -hmm. i didn't realize that people had to have emotional space Uh, i i never allow that (laughs) it's just it's still a kind of pushy habit but mummy mummy was a, a very successful mother and she was a very successful human being, I think, and she was my model. I, I'm probably inculcated from her how to react and interact with other people. So for me, she has been a continual inspiration. Every time I meet a new person, the, the techniques that mummy evoked in me will be set
2: to another human being and um, it, it hasn't failed you were just saying that she told you everything and you told her everything did you, were there sometimes things she told you that you'd rather she hadn't well I remember when she she
3: once told me you know daddy and I made love yet last night And I, I I remember feeling a bit ooh you know should I know that because children are very prudish and, yes you know, very, very, especially where their parents are concerned of course so I thought uh, I can and I can remember that. I can remember feeling that, so yes, that that sort of thing, but no, nothing else. I loved her stories of her youth, and um it was interesting because I found out uh, because I loved doing genealogy, that her father her, no, her grandfather had been in prison. And I do not know if she ever knew that. I suspect she didn't because I think she would have talked about it. But he was sent to prison in uh, long before she was born in, in 1877 and Mummy was born in 1905. I don't think she knew that. I think that was kept from her because it was shameful. I think from my discovery of that and then lots of other discoveries uh, about my family, um, have uh, enhanced my longing to ask people questions. And one of the things I always say to people is write on the back of a photo. Mm. All those boxes of photos you've got in your cupboards and drawers and so on, get them out and write who the people are because one day nobody will know and they will be the only likeness of that person, whoever that person was. it's It's a terrifying hobby Genealogy, because you're terribly aware that every second counts. Yeah.
2: Um,
3: and this week alone, I've lost three cousins. And I wanted to ask them so many more questions. And now
2: I never can. But at least I will write
3: on the back of the photos.
2: As you discover about... Your grandparents and your great-grandparents. I can't remember, is it your mum's... Is it your grandfather or your mum's grandfather who also had another child? Yes, it, well, it was mummy's father. And I absolutely know she didn't
3: know that. That would have been... But I think his wife knew. Mm, just... But not the, the children. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, my grandparents had four children. One died, um, was sort of dropped by a nurse carrying him and he he was killed which is and that was their only son their first child and then there were three daughters and one of the daughters was one of those kind of angel children she was beautiful and clever with a sweet nature and she won a scholarship to goldsmiths college the first one in the family to have a university entry and she died in the first world war With meningitis. I think a bomb went nearby and it it shocked her or something. I'm not quite sure of the medical details. But I think that terrible event, which would crush any family, uh, crushed my grandfather because he loved this Doris, her name was. And I think that was what sent him into the arms of a neighbour, as it turned out. And uh, I only found that out a couple of years ago with DNA.
2: Did you do one of those ancestry tests?
3: I did an ancestry test and sent it in. And um, the the offspring of the the grandson of of that union also did an ancestry test or one of the DNA companies and found out that I was down as a cousin, which is a very close um, Mm, relationship.
2: Yeah.
3: So we got in touch and we found out it, it, it was because they lived close and I looked at the date and it was about the time that Doris died and I think that that must have been the reason because I don't think he was ineffably charming he was glorious he was a a, an adorable man and everybody loved him but his wife had a kind of my grandmother whom I loved and who came to live with us till till she died she had a a sour, pained expression very often. Mm. And I think it was because that must have been discovered. Um, but I'm sure Mummy didn't know.
0: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project
2: It's so interesting, isn't it? It really helps you start to see all those people as people rather than just, you know, in associate, just tangential to you. Well, that's the exciting thing when they become flawed and desperate souls looking for
3: comfort, looking for employment and very often in our Jewish case, just looking for safety.
2: Do you take after your mother's side of the family more than your father's? I think I'm a
3: mixture of both of my parents. Uh, my mother could sing brilliantly. My father was tone deaf. I am tone deaf. <laughs> Daddy was well-educated and had an interest and a joy in words, as do I. My mother did not. She was not a reader. She she was... Uh, she was a talker and a listener and a, and a schemer, a planner. Whereas my father was like a child in the world and she led him by the hand and guided him. He was not someone, he, he wasn't shrewd. Mm. I'm shrewd. Mummy was shrewd. Would you say you're still quite childlike? I've got child, childlike qualities, I, I know that um but it, it, it depends on my mood because sometimes i can be uh, i don't know very, very wise but i can i can be thoughtful and um uh, and and slightly uh, intellectually snobbish well not even slightly but very yeah. um and other times just i i skip with pleasure about something so i think i do have childlike qualities and I, I'm glad I do because I think that's rather
2: nice. Did you learn the power of making people laugh when you were at school? I probably had um, the the performer's
3: trait, or when when I was born. I mean, mummy was a performer. Daddy was absolutely not. I mean, Mm. I used to say to him, did you never want to go on the stage? And he said, what are you talking about? (laughs) Good heavens, I can't think of anything more ghastly. (laughs) I, I really would hate anything like that. And of course, I love it. You know, To me, it's meat and drink to stand on a stage. And as soon as I stand on a stage, all the worries and the anxieties and the pains disappear. And I just have that sense of communion with with them and they I hope with me and I hope that long continues I mean every time I go on a stage or just before I think God will I will I still be able to link link with them but uh, so far I I can but I don't think I mean I think it's just it wasn't a particular age it was already developed at school because I've got a photograph of 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 my stand, mummy. Mummy used to teach me. You know, she she'd say, "Now stand like this," and so she'd make me hold my hands in front of me, folded like that. And I was posing, so I posed, and I was in front of the camera. I, actually, I think the photos in 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 the in the book that I'm just just published, and it's got me gay. Yeah. And it's just adorable and yeah. terribly self-conscious. But, you know, so I've always had that.
2: Was acting something you always wanted to do, or was it was it just... did it just happen?
3: I don't think that I ever uh, actually thought that I would be an actress. I don't think that was in my mind. Uh, until... Oh, well, probably until Cambridge. I loved, I always loved performing and entertaining. But to earn your living doing that, I don't think that was a, an ambition until university. And then I thought it was a possibility. But I don't honestly think I could have done anything else. No,
2: well, from this position, it's impossible to imagine you doing anything else. I interviewed the actor Sheila Hancock, um, who's... She's probably 10 years older than you, isn't yes, she? Yes, she is, yes. Um, but she was talking about when she started out, you know, and wanting to be taken seriously as an as an actor, but ultimately just being treated, always treated like she was too common. She didn't fit the mould of what the BBC or the RSC or, you know, whatever expected expected her to be and always being cast as like the, the ditzy blonde, as she put it, for her. Did you have a similar experience of going in and not fitting the stereotypical mould?
3: I think I fitted the stereotypical mould of, of the fat neighbour, you know. Oh, okay. the, the, um, the person who was not the leading lady, but was a, a character. Mm. A, a sort of like, I don't know, Rita Webb or um, uh, Margaret Rutherford at one time, although she was later recognised as being a very great actress. Mm. I've never been the dipsy blonde. No. <laughs> I, I would have liked to have had a go as a
2: dipsy blonde, but that was not going to happen. No, you had a different... You were put in a different box. A different box. Do you feel like what is there now? I mean, you're 82. You're insanely busy. But are there are there still things that you're like? I want to. I want to do this while well, I still can. I want. I want to achieve that.
3: I do absolutely want to go on as long as I'm a able and b. Wanted. Uh, I don't like ever turning down things, and I'm very pleased I'm still asked to do stuff. I don't know that I have specific burning desires to play one part or another I would like to play more Shakespeare and I would I'm terribly envious not jealous of of Brenda Blethyn who is a friend and whom I admire and enjoy enormously but I would like to have a character like Vera Vera. that I could uh, I mean
2: she would be better educated than Vera of course yes (laughs) Brenda has absolutely made Vera her own, hasn't she? And she's wonderful, because she's actually nothing like Vera as a person. It's
3: just a brilliant evocation of a whole world. And um, I I love it and I I watch it, but I I just um, would have loved To have something like hmm, Miss Marple or some detective. I have played a detective a couple of times and it was great fun. And I just would love something like that. But I doubt now that I would be able to work on the lines uh, speedily enough. I mean, Brenda's in her 70s. But once you become 80, it's just a tougher thing to, to learn. I reckon you'd pull it off for the right part. Well, I think I would too. I'd make bloody sure I did. Yeah. Uh, but um, I, I'm not at all discontented. I don't want to give the impression that I feel a sense of grievance of any kind. I don't. On the contrary, I feel enormous surprise that I've got to this age and that people are still interested. That I find amazing.
2: And how have you managed to pull off fifty-four years of marriage relationship? I love my partner, and she loves me, and we we have um,
3: a vivid intellectual communion. I learn so much from her. She's a an historian of Indonesian, a subject which few people know anything about, but she knows everything. I love her so. That's it, really. I just have gone on loving her and wanting to be with her.
2: Before I ask you the questions that I always ask at the end, I just want to ask you something from the very end of Oh, Miriam. In your first book, uh, you talked about coming out and coming out in the 60s and coming out to your parents and how you regretted it. And at the end of the second book, there's a really poignant moment, I think, where you said that if you hadn't, you couldn't have been me. Do you feel differently now about coming out to your parents?
3: I don't know that I do feel different about it.
2: It's just that
3: if you're not honest, if you are continually living a lie, it is damaging to your soul. And I, I wouldn't have liked to have had to do that. But in telling the truth, in coming out, to my parents and particularly mummy, I damaged her I hurt her I caused her real pain I took away from her the longing and the hope that she would have grandchildren that she would be able to talk about me and the grandchildren to other people that she would have a longer a longer life through, through the progeny and I took that away and that I can continually regret. Maybe it was a sacrifice. I, I sacrificed her to my own happiness. And that is not an easy thing to admit to or to... Or to I mean, I'm not, I'm not at all proud of it. I'm, I'm ashamed. But she was so utterly stricken when I told her. I can never... Recover from that. When when you give somebody you love pain, that's that's a bad thing, and I regret I regret that. But as uh, Tevye the milkman said, on the other hand, on the other hand, I gave myself the pathway for an open life. I have now no secrets. It's a very powerful and satisfactory position to be in. But she was damaged. So I hurt the person I loved most at that time in order to achieve my own peace of mind. And that was ultimately selfish. So what I say to people who are gay or, you know, on some kind of journey sexually, uh, don't tell people if you think they can't cope with it. Because some people can't.
2: But if you hadn't, that would have been a lot of life lived in the closet, wouldn't it? Or in the family closet, if not?
3: Well, it it would have been awkward until she died, um, until my parents died, which, in my father's case, he lived a very long time. (laughs) He lived till he was uh, 95, uh, maybe 96, I can't quite remember. He was born in 1899, and he died... In nineteen ninety five, so, it was ninety six. Yeah, yeah. That would have been a long time. It would have been a bit, a bit long, <laughs> a bit long to lie. But um, you do what you know, I did. What I did, and I have to live with the consequences of it. And I have benefited, but the knowledge, the guilt. I mean, look. I did something which I'm much more ashamed of, in a way, was, which was I hit Mummy once. I have written about that, but not in my... I don't know if I said it in my books. I don't know. I don't remember reading it. I, put it, I, I remember telling a newspaper. But Mummy was... Uh, towards the end of her life, she couldn't, she couldn't move or speak, really. Uh, she, she had aphasia. The only thing she could say was, I can't afford a carriage, and poof, I want... And uh, it was just so aggravating. And so, and she was, she was not, she wouldn't listen to reasons. I find say, you know, move, I want to move you so I can open this door. And she she wouldn't. And once I actually hit her, not incredibly hard,
2: but it's scandalous. It's shocking. I did it. Was so it, that I'm ashamed of. Was that frustration, exactly? Yes, I mean, I mean, anybody who's,
3: who's been a carer, Mm. uh, will know that sometimes you want to hit the person or shape them or something. Well, I did it. I actually hit my mother.
2: Let me just quickly ask you the questions that I always ask at the end. Oh, right. OK. Thank Um, you. What is your emotional age? I have no idea. How do you find out what your emotional age is? I guess it's how old you feel. I've made a note here that your therapist told you you were five, but with a bit of work, you could be 12. (laughs) I don't know whether that's true. Yes, she did.
3: Um, Well, let's hope I'm 12.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Is there a book that you have absolutely loved that's made a massive impression on your life? I would say, without thinking about it, Little Dorrit. I thought you might say that. Dickens had a massive impact on your life, hasn't he? Charles Dickens,
3: for me, is the greatest writer who ever lived. Uh, my friend Sonia Fraser, who died nearly ten years ago now, together we made a, a play and um, and we toured it. The Dickens Women. Dickens Women. And um, rather bravely, I include two Dickens characters in my in my book tour. Oh, which two? I, I I have Miss Havisham. And um, Mrs. Gamp.
2: What advice would you give younger women?
3: <sighs> advice. I'm constantly asked for advice now and I always feel terrified because it's such a responsibility and I, it depends what they need, who they are, what is possible. I just always say,
2: seize the day. Carpe diem. Uh, who is an older woman who, who's inspired you, or an old woman who has inspired you in the past to live your life? Well, my, my great
3: hero is Eileen Atkins, Dame Eileen Atkins. The, the technique she has in acting, the truth of her characterizations, the wit that she employs in her daily life, she's incalculably marvellous.
2: Is she about your age? Older? She's 89. 89.
3: And as fashionable and as sexy as anybody you could name.
2: How does some women pull that
3: off? i It's just who she is. It's her character. That's how she does it. She, and she's written, by the way, a brilliant book, uh, which came out the same time as my book. And I made more money... Uh, Because I was lucky, but her book is just as good, if not better. And it's called Will She Do? So I strongly advise you to read it and then interview
2: her. I I would love to interview her. Absolutely love to. What is your superpower? My what? Your superpower. I don't know what that means. What is a
3: superpower? I um, thought that
2: was like China or something. I don't know. It was in China. Okay, what are you just incredibly good at? The truth. That is spot on. That is spot on. And last one, how many fucks do you give? How many fucks do I give? yes. None now, alas. less.
3: Yeah. <laughs> no. do you mean in terms I of mean how, how much, much do I care? Yes, uh, I do mean how
2: much do you care. I care
3: enormously. So thousands of fucks I thousands care. Thousands
2: of fucks. Thank you, Miriam. I'm really honoured you fitted me into your insane schedule. <laughs> it was fun. Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like my conversations with Sheila Hancock and Janie Godley. You'll find a link to them in the show notes. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow, because it really does help other people find us. If you'd like more of The Shift in your life, head over to theshiftwithsandbaker.substack.com. And sign up for weekly newsletters, podcast extras, and more.
0: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall.